This podcast is intended for educational purposes only. As a marketing communication, it should not be taken as investment advice, personal recommendation, or an offer of or solicitation to buy or sell any financial instruments. This material is being prepared without taking into account any particular recipient's investment objectives or financial situation. We make no representation and assume no liability as to the accuracy or completeness of the content of this communication, which is being prepared using publicly available information. Your capital is at risk. The value of investments can go down as well as up, and investors may get back less than invested. Past performance is not indicative of future results. So hi there, everybody, and welcome to the official Million Dollar Traders podcast with myself, James Halliwell, and of course, joining me is Lex Van Dam. And this week, our special guest, Ed Butler, who is a million dollar trader in his own right and one of the top popular investors on eToro. Ed, welcome. How are you doing? Yeah, very well. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Good, good. Um, Lex, I, this is, of course, the first opportunity that we've had to uh, introduce Ed. Um, and I think today we want to have a, just a general chat, as we do, about markets, a little bit about your approach, and, yeah, understand a bit more about your journey as well in terms of what, uh, what path you followed to get into the world of trading. Yeah, should we start there with that that yeah. journey? I guess. Um, so I straight out of school went to, to university in Exeter, studied business and management, um, and that incorporated uh, accounting, finance, economics, uh, and immediately, you know, that's something I knew that I was interested in, and something I I found relatively fascinating. Uh, and then beyond that, um, started working. I worked as a technology consultant um, for the majority of my career, uh, and then to begin with, to kind of dip into finance, I actually started with the robo advisors. Um, so, you know, you type in your risk, the amount of money you have, they create a fund for you. Um, and then diving beneath the surface of those, I started to look at, well, you know, what are they actually investing in? Um, ended up then moving on to funds and just investing in funds myself. And then more specifically, joining eToro in May 2016, I think it was. It's a long time ago. Um, and then actually selecting individual assets myself. Uh, and then from then, um, it kind of took off a little bit in 2017 with the cryptocurrency boom. I was definitely a beneficiary of that. Uh, 2018, back down to earth a little bit, um, but in that time managed to sort of grow a, a copier base and a follower base. Uh, and then in more recent times, performance has been relatively good, except for the last few months or so, been a, a little bit more of a struggle. Um, but outside of that, uh, I'm at the moment uh, working as a technology consultant still, but specifically in the, the nonprofit space, um, just doing three days a week and actually going to bring that to a close soon um, because I intend to go back to traveling full time traveling and trading so i was doing that for a couple of years 2018 2019 uh and i think pandemic permitting uh, i can return to that now but we'll see we can see the world map behind you that's certainly an interesting <laughs> the uh what was your favorite place on your travels in the last couple of years um it- i've spent quite a lot of time in cambodia uh i've got good friends out there uh incredible people beautiful country um so i'm thinking i might head back there for a little bit um but outside of that i did a actually bought a an old motor home uh, in Canada and drove it down from Canada down to Panama and back. Wow. Uh, and across that trip, Central America, there were some really beautiful spots along the coast. Uh, and yeah, being on eToro, sort of beach in front of me, in the ocean, Pacific Ocean, a cocktail in hand. Um, yeah, it was a nice way to invest and do my research. Sounds so, so from your side, you, you don't really need to uh, sit behind a screen in, in, a, in a room without any noise, uh, focused on, on, on 
I don't know, the, the, the portfolio in all the news flow is, is not really, um, is, is not really the, the, the needed in the, in the same manner. Um, or, or you can do pretty similar, uh, achieve pretty similar results just, just being on, on, on the beach, yeah? Yeah, I think so. So my, my approach is definitely long-term and it's more investment-based. So I'm not, I monitor the markets every day. I'm always looking at news coming out, earnings, but I'm not sort of on the pulse and making knee-jerk reaction decisions based on on news most of the time unless something quite dramatic comes out so with that i can kind of research companies and assets at my own pace uh, and that allows me to you know as we said sit on a beach for a few hours um pull up my laptop um pull up a tablet whatever it might be and, and flick through research uh, so yeah and is, I, is, is, you, is your trading more than than like you say you, you think long term and it's actually good to get away from the screen and from the action and sit back and think okay you know, this is my portfolio. Does it really still make sense? And and what what are like maybe other themes or trends that or companies I, sh- I should be in? Is that sort of like the, the time away? It's it's almost like a meditation, meditative approach to to an extent. Then I think to a large extent, yes. Um, at the same time, I I'm just genuinely very fascinated by disruptive and innovative technology, particularly. So my sort of getaway time, I spend a lot of time just reading. You know, the Economist, the FT, Wall Street Journal, whatever else it might be, reading about technological breakthroughs. like That's what really fascinates me. So that's kind of always the starting point and the foundation of a lot of what fundamentally becomes my investment decision-making is I'll start with the big themes and then kind of whistle it down and then select assets from that a lot of the time. So I have that kind of combination of the, the sort of bigger picture thinking combined with the you know, when I need to getting down to the details of annual reports and, and finances as well. And do you do you then look a lot at, at specific stocks or or more at, at, at thematic ETFs? How do you um, how do you build that portfolio? Yeah, combo of the two. So I'm I kind of ask myself two questions. I think always is um, is it a good company? And very separate question, but very important question: is it a good investment? And often those two things are very very different. So the sort of thematic stuff I'll do. I'll look into a particular industry and think, you know, is this going places? If the answer is yes at that stage, then I, I then start to look at the companies um, and pick out from that what I usually believe is the the forerunners in that. Um, but then that's, you know, that's a single question. Is that a good company in a growing industry? Yes. Is it a good investment? Potentially not. It might be overvalued. There might be strong competition. There might be regulation coming in place. Um, and so that's then kind of the second part of the question, which is then getting into the, the nitty gritty and the details. Um, and kind of working bottom up from that stage. And 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 how 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 would you override that if you you say okay great great sector company like you know is kind of too expensive but you know what all the other panthers out there this is the one they're going to buy anyway so it's maybe a bit expensive this thing is never going to get cheap and the flow is going into this one so I, I don't really want to pay this level but you know what I just know other people are going to pay the same or more. How, how much does that then override your decision, the, the, the flow in, in, uh, of other investors? In, in well, that, that, that's a really good point because the question is, are people going to pay more? Um, that's, if, you know, that's how I'm going to make profit. It's not necessarily whether or not that price point at the moment is expensive. I invest predominantly in technology stocks, so everything's expensive. If I took the view that you know, it's too expensive, I won't invest, I would have a portfolio of 100% cash. Um, so it's always a balance. And I, I think the other difficult aspect of that as well is then making sure that balance is within my portfolio too. So I am, I'm definitely exposed to technology broadly, but I am wary of being too exposed in specific subsectors within that too. 
Um, but your question is exactly right. You know, where is the sentiment heading is is sometimes what I ask myself quite a lot as well, um, because that is usually quite a big determinant of the price, particularly when prices are so inflated like they are at the moment. Um, a lot of it is driven by sentiment and goodwill and potential future revenue rather than actual metrics. That's something we were we were t- t- touching on in our uh, previous episode with uh, with Wes, a little bit about um, how you can see often the sentiment shifting and where the hot money or speculative money is likely uh, chasing. On eToro is a perfect example of that, with it being sort of social trading and seeing all the sentiment and, and comments and how everybody's super bullish lithium or solar or whatever it may be at a particular time, and ARC, of course, from from uh, maybe earlier in the year and certainly all of last year. Um, it's yeah, it's quite a, an environment or a community to be able to observe that in. Uh, it's something that we touched upon before, and I'm sure that you've uh, you've seen that yourself as well. Yeah, I mean, honestly, eToro is fantastic for that sort of thing. Um, I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of news and a lot of noise on eToro as well. Um, but amongst that, you can start to pick up on what's fashionable, and there's there's some really interesting insight from PIs as well. Um, there's some really really good investors on that platform, um, and you know, utilizing their their insights is is also quite important too. Um, but it's great that I think eToro kind of democratizes that and brings it all together. Yeah. So you um, Ed, you touched on. Of course, your, your background in technology, your idea generation process, and how that partly feeds in with also your general um, routine or a day-to-day, or perhaps slight distance away from the day-to-day of, uh, of, of trading more actively. How have you, or how do you feel currently about the situation that's emerged with Chinese tech? I noticed that that's a theme that we should um, discuss with your followers on uh, or copiers on eToro. Um, I haven't had any real exposure there, so equally I haven't had to be as involved in having to understand the, the fallout of that. Um, but as somebody who's you know very much experienced in technology and has exposure still to um, to some of the Chinese names, I noticed I think it was uh, Doyu was was one of the new positions that you just opened recently. Maybe it'd be good for the audience to get your insights on uh, on, on exactly what you feel is going on there right now. Yeah, it's turbulent and it's a minefield um it's a bit of a mess to be honest um i've been investing in chinese tech stocks for years now uh, and i've seen them sort of um come and go with momentum i think what we're seeing now is uh, is really interesting for a number of reasons but you know at a really macro scale it's it's quite a significant geopolitical move that the ccp are making here um it's very much about control i don't think for any reason they'd want to stifle their tech sector i think it's more a case of making it more robust and positioning it in a way whereby the state has ultimate control and they're kind of flexing their muscles a little bit and showing that. Um, but you could also argue that doing this now um, tees it up for more innovation um, and a more competitive marketplace as well. So yeah, it, it's difficult now. And um, we're seeing the fines coming in. I feel it's a reckoning that was probably around the corner. Since this has started happening the last few months, I've reduced my exposure to Chinese tech a bit. Um, but there's some companies in there that for me, I, I don't see how they can't grow in the next few years. Um, you look at companies that have lost huge amounts of share price, like Tencent Music Entertainment, who actually um, posted earnings very recently, uh, and their revenue growth is is great. Um, they're growing quite significantly in terms of um, their paying users, even though monthly active users might be relatively stagnant. Uh, and to me, it's just a case of you know people are a little bit scared, and they should be. There's some really severe systematic risks in that marketplace right now 
Um, but at the same time, I think that also creates lots of opportunities too. So for me, it's, it's, it's kind of finding that balance. I want to be involved. I want to definitely make that money. Um, but at the same time, I ha- kind of have to tread a bit carefully and even more so now. So I'm kind of trying to strike that balance, but it has been painful for the last few months for sure. And, you know, and, and I, also think it's, I also think it's, it's not just a question of um, they don't want people to become rich trading the, the, those names or, or, or owning the names. Um, I think it's more about that the Chinese state wants to stay on top of the, of the data and um, you know, know what's going on within the country um, and not have that information within companies' hands. And if you then compare that to Google and Amazon and Uber in, in the West, where we have no idea what happens to our data, um, then I think you can really make the case to say, actually, you know what, maybe it's better if, if the government knows um, then that that everybody else, all these uh, companies are trying to exploit it to um, to make money. So I, yep. I think yeah. I think there's two sides to it. And then also, like if you have the the Chinese um, state have have more control, um, you know, there might also be you know more, more projects of 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 you know of, of wider benefit than the bottom line of the the company that. Um, you know, where they'll use their algorithms to to understand what's going on, and obviously we be like in the West, we we very much against totalitarian states, and I'm 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 obviously very uh, pro West, so I'm not saying like I think they have a better system, but I think we, we do need to understand the strength of of, of you know of what happens outside uh, outside our world, um, and 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 so yeah, I, I don't think it's 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 uh, it, it matters, and I think that's the point you were making yourself. It doesn't. They don't really care if 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 the stock price goes up or down. That's that, that's that's not a big thing. And so what that probably means is, like you say, you have the turbulence, you have the volatility, and when everybody else is panicking, maybe maybe this time to buy. And if you don't really understand the companies, then again, it might make sense to 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 copy you because you do know those names. You've followed them for many years, so you know which ones are are, are the good names. So I I can. Uh, I can totally, I, I totally get that. I'm also interested because I know you, you you trade cannabis stocks, right? I do, yeah, yeah. Talk so about far. volatility. So, like, I, I don't know if, if Chinese volatility is more than cannabis stock. Uh, I think they take turns. One will have a, a little hissy fit, and then the other one will have a go as well. Um, there's yeah, there's always some action going on in your portfolio. So, what, yeah. what, what do you trade the Canadian? I guess a lot of the Canadian names. Is that is that what you do? Or yeah, what, North what? American mainly. So I feel. I feel with technology stocks generally and with the assets I invest in, I like to think that I have a, a competitive advantage there just through insight and through my wider reading. And it, I feel the same with cannabis stocks to an extent. Um, I have quite a lot of contacts out in North America who are involved in the industry. Um, and I get quite a lot of um, sort of evaluation and analysis from them on these. I also think it's it's obviously quite a volatile area. There's been some crazy valuations. Um, some of the big stocks particularly rising through through the ranks. Um, but there is a huge potential addressable market there. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we see legalization or even decriminalization at a federal level, that's going to spark a, a big price rush, I think. Um, and then beyond that, you know, if you look at sustained growth over 10 years in that industry, I, I think it's only heading in one direction. So it's another one of those areas where you know, there's definitely growth there, but is that already factored into the price? I don't think it is quite yet. Um, and particularly when I look at the sort of the medical side of it and the medical companies, um, again, always a little bit risky because it depends on on their clinical trials and it can go either way a lot of the time. But there's some there that are doing some really interesting research. And you know, if they can get something through a clinical trial 
and prove its uh, efficacy, that's going to absolutely skyrocket. So I'm kind of hoping that there's maybe some sleeping giants in there for me with some of these cannabis uh, medical stocks particularly. But then for the wider industry as a whole, um, I think there's volatility, but I, I think there's going to be growth as well. Yeah, and, and I think when you talk about flow, um, especially in that sector, um, it, it, it's sort of like retail can preempt institutional money because obviously for the reasons you, you, you mentioned and you know, not, not every, um, or like, like most institutions just don't want to have any exposure to it because their LPs will, uh, or, the, or their investors will not you know, want exposure, so they can't afford to, 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 to get involved. So once that, that institutional money um, is allowed to start buying cannabis stocks, um, you know, it, it, it's, it can obviously, uh, you know, dramatically rise, right? So that's, that, I think, is, is, a, is, is probably the biggest catalyst. Um, and that will come, like you say, after the, the catalyst of, of, uh, of, of uh, no longer um, being thrown in jail, um for, yeah. for, for some of the uh well i mean it's legalized or decriminalized in the majority of states now so it, it feels like it's a matter of time before it, it happens at a federal level too and that will really open the, the floodgates i think to lots more investment and it's not something that's just limited to north america either i think that it's a trend that we'll see maybe you know over a longer period of time in in europe and, and beyond but um i think globally uh legalization and decriminalization is something that's going to happen um, and with that in mind, all of a sudden you have a, a massive new market out of nowhere. Um, and with that situation in mind, there's obviously plenty of money to be made. And, and, and I mean, I'm just, I'm just thinking of Afghanistan as you're saying that. And, and you know, if, if uh, I mean, the Taliban obviously made, you know, it's being financed by, by um, you know, heroin. Mm. And, you know, the case was also made like, you know, just decriminalize everything. Um, and and you know the, the world will be will be a better place. Um, I, I don't think I, I see you uh, investing in heroin except through pharma. But but how about psychedelics? Do you do you look at that at all as well? You know, yeah, so interesting I, companies in that space. There is some really interesting research coming out on the positive effects of psilocybin, um, particularly in North America. And we're seeing again decriminalization. So I think. Um, it's, you know, people just see it as magic mushrooms, um, but the psilocybin within that is is quite a powerful active ingredient. Uh, and I think what we're going to see is that that's going to trail the same path that cannabis has gone down, whereby we'll see more decriminalization. We'll, we'll see, particularly in the medical field, um, that there are some really big breakthroughs and that there are some incredible benefits to, to these drugs. Um, that will take longer, I think. That's a much more sort of 10, 20-year play. Uh, cannabis more on the forefront, but Absolutely, I think that's also coming um, and following cannabis. Is that the um, is that the treatment or the application that they've tested with uh, with the effect on depression and things? I think I saw a show on that probably a couple of months ago on the BBC. That was really quite interesting. Yeah, so lots of mental health issues. They're they're trying to um, to see what the effects of psilocybin are, and there's positive results even at a small scale now on depression, PTSD, anxiety. Um, so there's you know it's all a little bit vague and ambiguous at the moment in terms of definitive science backing this stuff up, but it looks like preliminary research is, is quite positive. I mean, the, the main thing with that, James, is, is sort of self-medication. So if you sort of uh, read the research and think, okay, I should do so myself without anyone present in the room, and then you sort of like think you can fly, you know, that doesn't really <laughs> work. But if you, you know, if you take it uh, in, 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 a, in a safe environment, 
you know, yeah, that's, that's, controlled, that's what, uh, controlled experiment. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's controlled experiments. Um, yeah, and so so what else is what else is uh, what else is interesting? Uh, how, how about, for example, the the Robin Hood uh, crowd in in terms of, or, or maybe more the Reddit crowd, where you know they 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 they're just uh, almost trading it like tokens or, or crypto, where you just uh, you know, you just push it up to a crazy level and then it falls again. Do you get involved in any of those uh, exciting opportunities or, or is that stay away and, and, and just play what, what, what you can still kind of uh, rationally justify? How, how, yeah. how does that work in your world? It's, it's that, that, that element of it's a little bit too irrational for me. So I, I tend to stay away, particularly with my eToro portfolio as well, which, you know, I keep a moderate risk score on. Um, but yeah, I, the, the memification of finance is... A really, really interesting new trend, um, and it's one that's not going anywhere. You know, we all of a sudden you've seen the mobilisation of was it eleven, twelve million people on Wall Street bets, who in an instant can, in a completely dispersed manner, manipulate markets. You know, and we've seen manipulation of markets for decades and decades, but all of a sudden that's with within sort of a de- decentralised situation where it's individual users all over the world. So there's some interesting questions coming from that. Um, the big one is how do you regulate that? And the answer at the moment is you can't really. What's yeah. to stop this happening? And that's really dangerous. I think that people um, investing in any portfolio should be wary of this because if they get caught, if one of their companies in their portfolio gets caught up in something like this, as we've seen with AMC, GameStop, Nokia, um, it can be really, really damaging, you know, really beneficial as well. But unless you have your finger on really on the pulse and you know, are really almost on the inside of these these big growths, then I think it's it's probably safer to stay away. Um, yeah, because I, I, th- I think people well. people obviously like um, they love gaming these days and spend a lot of time there. So if if the US government sends you whatever a thousand dollar check, and you know instead of playing a, a game that is just like uh, some of you know the, the the in crowd, if you now can play a game where actually you know the real world Wall Street is involved as well. Um, so I, th- I think a lot of people are using it as, as yeah, a, a, literally as sort of like a casino. And so when people say it's, it's not rational, I don't agree. I think they are pretty rational and they see this on, on, on the bulletin boards and they see the moves. And, you know, some people will do, do pretty well out of it if they, if, if they can predict it and preempt it. Um, so, again, I, th- I think that's another, you know, trend that, that probably will be there. To stay and 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 again makes that that job probably again more interesting, right? Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's definitely here to stay. There's no sort of putting that back in the box now. Um, I think it, it's it's new and it's for that reason it's a little bit threatening and a little bit dangerous in ways. But at the same time, it's incredible, right? To give accessibility to the markets to millions of people through easy to use apps. You know, there's obviously risks there, but. To be able to distribute that to anyone that has a smartphone can now invest in the stock market. That's awesome. That's really awesome. And we're seeing that with eToro. We're seeing it with Robinhood as well. I mean, James, your copy is a skyrocketing at the moment, I believe. So you're definitely seeing the benefits of that and that sort of community-based investment. Um, and I think I think it's really good. I think it's really good for, for distributing the um, the potential upsides of financial markets and making it understandable to people. Um, obviously, there's this mad sort of gold rush now of people doing crazy things but long term i think it's definitely beneficial social media uh-huh. technology are at the heart of it aren't they just as the other themes that we discussed as to go global with maybe cannabis or whatever 
Now, Conor McGregor's there smoking, uh, smoking weed most days now with however many million followers as an influencer he has. Stuff goes global. Same with YouTube. Same with uh, Wall Street Bets. I know it's, of course, a forum or bulletin board, but as things spread, you mentioned meme stocks. At the heart of that is ultimately Instagram or Twitter, whichever your, your preferred flavor is for that sort of thing. Um, this is how we're, we're reaching people. Um, and yeah, it's no surprise to see that we each own Facebook and uh, and ultimately Google in our portfolios as well. But uh, how, how, how much? So, so, so I have a you know like like at least one more question about how, how much harder it is to you know I mean you have a lot of followers and and, and a lot of assets. So how how different is it to you know when you make a decision and you know everybody can kind of communicate with you and say well done or what are you doing? And, and and so how much harder is, is trading when you um you know have have so many investors that and you are so easy to reach? Because a lot of investment managers, you know, in the city and Wall Street, they okay, they have to show the performance like yourself, but often it's it's not it's it's not minute to minute and there's a whole, you know, like a big wall and these people, you know, you can't you, you yeah, you, you can't get to. By you, like, yeah, everything you do has this immediate feedback loop of a lot of people who agree and a lot of people who, you know, want to just, or, or someone might be in a bad mood and, and, and give you some comment. It's actually based on nothing, almost like Twitter, whatever, you just, anyone, anyone can say anything to you. So, so how, how much does that make trading actually more difficult to, to live in that world? Yeah, there's definitely a pressure there as a popular investor. And I think that that's probably underestimated. Um, for a lot of people, you know, you can take off very, very quickly on eToro and all of a sudden find yourself managing millions of dollars and you know, have thousands of, of followers. And um, it can be quite daunting at times, to be honest. But the reality is, I think, you know, there's nowhere to hide, but that transparency is great. I mean, that's what eToro is fantastic about is that I shouldn't have anywhere to hide. All of my transactions should be available at all times and I should be able to justify those. So I think that, you know, if you're going to take on the responsibility of being a PR, you kind of got to stand up to that a little bit. On the flip side, you know, it's the same with most social media companies. I had a, a comment, I think, from someone this morning that was, uh, why have I lost money? And I had a look at their um, their portfolio and they've been copying me for 24 hours. So, you know, there's only so much you can do a lot of the time. Um, I've those but, well already, believe it or not. I was 500. I've had those. Yeah. Oh, yeah. you're going to get a lot more. Red. As you well, the red in the red. You cough me for a day because the S&P down. <laughs> yeah. And that, well, that, I guess that is the challenge is, I mean, you know, if it was just my money, I'd I'd be you know a little bit riskier. I'd try new things potentially, but I need to be quite careful with my my risk, particularly the diversification within my portfolio, um, and then equally as well, um, style drift too. So I hope people copy me because I have long term positions and a competitive advantage in technology. If I started investing dramatically in other things. You know, those investors maybe start to question, well, why are you doing this? And you know, this isn't your area of expertise. So it's it's kind of this balance because at the same time, maybe I do want to rotate away from tech somewhat uh, at the moment, but I need to keep you know that consciousness of people are copying me for a reason, um, and and that's where my advantage is. So it's interesting. It, yeah, it, you you bring up a really good point. Um, it's you know you're out on stage all the time on Etoro. Uh, there's nowhere to hide, but um, ultimately it's a good thing. 
despite the pressure at times. Yeah, 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 yeah great, amazing. Yeah, mentioning that transparency, Ed, you can see, I noticed on your um, stats page on Etoro, there at the bottom, it says your average holding period is 10 and a half months per position. Mm-hmm. So again, and, and your risk score is, I think, four. Basically, it's on a scale, I believe, of one to 10, with, I think, in order to be a PI, you have to be below, is it seven or six? Yeah, six, six or below, yeah. So, yeah. Six or below. Um so, yeah, I think you're in a similar camp to me in terms of keeping a, a below-average score um, whilst still generating some really good performance over the, over the years. And, uh, yeah, the, the social aspect is certainly something that I'm beginning to learn from. And just as one example to contribute here, if I think back pretty much a month ago, I'd returned from holiday and Delta was, like, shooting up everywhere. Um, I felt really compelled to put a hedge on. So, so to just delta hedge the portfolio for a period of time, go a little bit more defensive. And at the point of doing so, I got challenged for the first time, had a few comments saying, why have you done this? And I explained it. And it said, the hedge has lost money. And I cut it after a couple of days and moved on. And that was a really good course. I was actually short Europe, which is massively outperformed. And I repositioned long for. Um, let me just uh, minimize this. But uh, yeah, having done that, I'm now receiving comments one month later saying, you're not worried about Delta. <laughs> so it's just like, you can't win. <laughs> so what I'm doing is saying, these companies that I own are high quality. I expect them to grow their earnings over the next 12 months. So logic would suggest that they will be perceived as more valuable in 12 months' time. So if there is some near-term volatility and speculation over Delta and Jackson Hole or the Fed or whatever they're saying this week and they're saying the next, yeah, that's, uh, that's where we're doing it. So giving yourself that distance as well is... Uh, is something that I understand. It's, yeah, uh, it'll be a steep learning curve, I think, for me on the on the social aspect of things from uh, from here on. Just after the uh, the first million now. Yeah, yeah, you'll find it gets it gets quite interesting. I mean, on the topic of shorting, I was um, I was hedging my portfolio by shorting QQQ, the ETF, uh, and of course, all of, uh, yeah, lots of comments. This is losing loads of money. Why are you doing it? And to explain over and over again how you know this is a hedge to balance the risk yeah. in the portfolio uh, it can get a little bit tiresome but at the well, same time for me, if someone's... For me to short uh, to short fang or tech <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah but i mean yeah. i mean it would be good if on uh, even on etoro you know it, it would then explain that um that you could put it on your own flag or your own comment on you know if it shows like okay i've, d- I've done this trade and like a hedge whatever and it's you know it lost money every single time and you explain, actually, you know what, well, this was not a directional trade. It was to hedge the portfolio because I felt, you know, I had too much risk on for my investors. That'd be quite a nice feature, right, for eToro to add That'd to it. So you can explain. Yeah, like little annotations against your positions to say, to justify your positions or to, yeah. as you said, have a note to say this isn't a directional trade. I would like, I'd like to see that. So, You'd so, save so, me a lot of time going through my comments and sort of... Yeah, so, so then, exactly. So then when it goes wrong, you say, well, this was a hedge. And when it goes right, you say, I'm just an exceptional trader. Those comments. <laughs> Great. That's the game. Um, I think time is about up, James, right? Yeah, I think we're approaching the end. So just to wrap up, is there anything in particular as I get dazzled by the sun here in Yorkshire, it's finally come out. Um, is, there, uh, is there anything that you wanted to uh, sort of include at the end, Ed, that we perhaps haven't uh, covered or, or equally lex from your side? Um, just for me, like I always like to use the opportunity to when I'm on podcasts like this to just say thank you to my followers and copiers. Um, like, it's just incredible that they've shown so much faith in me. Uh, and I continue to work hard to try and justify that wherever possible. So if this is 
someone watching this and seeing me for the first time as a copyright follower. Um, thanks for your time. Thanks for your patience and thanks for your investment. I really appreciate it. Uh, and then to you as well, James, congratulations to you, of course. You're absolutely zooming through the Toro ranks at the moment uh, and it's very well justified. So it's been supported well by other people on there. Um, obviously, Lex as well, getting involved with uh, doing the YouTube stuff here uh, and, and the guests that we've had on. And is, is there, um, do you have a, a YouTube channel yourself, Ed, or is, is this the sort of the, the only way that you copies, copies are seeing you on, on uh, video as such? Yeah, so it, yeah, I basically just use eToro and LinkedIn. It's very contained. I don't really have a social media presence. Um, so videos like this, I've been on the eToro podcast. I do quarterly earnings calls um, at a minimum. So, so yeah, a little bits and pieces, but nothing concerted. You could do a, you could do a cool uh, Instagram, perhaps. You know, where you have like uh, you know, because I, I guess that what people really want is to be able to be anywhere in the world, uh, be financially independent. And, and at the same time, you know, stay in touch with, with the stock market. I mean, a lot of people obviously don't have the opportunity to do that right now. So if they see you, you know, go around, and, and I, th I think it could be quite uh, aspirational for people, you yeah, know? The, tra so the traveling trader or something like that. The, yeah, the traveling trader. <laughs> I, think, I think people would, uh, would like that. And, 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 and I think you, you'll get a lot of ideas by, uh, by, by going around and see the perception of, of, of other people and, and what they what they're using, what they're spending their money on, you know, the economies. I think you 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 learn a lot more being out in the world than than sitting at home. I think. Mm. Yes, I agree, and that's why I want to take off as soon as possible and go and start exploring and adventuring. Amazing! And you've been vaccinated, or is maybe don't answer that. Yes. Don't answer that because that's like <laughs> suddenly we, we get like a whole you know a lot of that's very political. Let's hope um, is is kind to us. Exactly. You know, stay, right? stay, stay safe. <laughs> Stay safe wherever you are. I will do. Thank you. Okay. Thanks All for right. joining us, Ed. And uh, I'll be sure to just include a, a link in the caption to, uh, to your page as well in our video when this goes up on YouTube. And uh, yeah, look forward to uh, chatting again maybe in the next uh, next few weeks, maybe from a more exotic location. Who knows? We'll see. Yeah. Thanks for <laughs> your time, guys. guys.